I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. And I'd like to thank everybody for checking out and, and donating to the final bid Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you turn off the episode before we get to business at the end, first, shame on you. And second, this may be new news in that case. You're like, what are you talking about? Uh, right now, and for the rest of the month of June, there is a tabletop role-playing game called Final Bid funding on Kickstarter right now, and I'm contributing to it. Yeah. The big thing that changed between when we talked about it in the last episode and now is that the thing I'm writing is officially in it. It unlocked. Hey! Yeah. So you just have a, a couple weeks left to get in on this game and help support it, help make it uh, become a reality. I'm, I'm very excited to, to share it with you all. Yeah. And now let's do some history that's completely unrelated. How completely unrelated do you think? Very. Very. What is the most unrelated topic that could possibly be to a game where you, you play as characters in a teen drama? Initially, when I was thinking of just unrelated, I was going to say death. But then when you said teen drama, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Mm, that's in about half death, of them. Death is not the answer here. Yeah. Animal adoption. Animal adoption. No, no. <laughs> that's a good answer. That's a, that's a good farthest from it's teen good. drama. But I do think the 1953 coup in uh, Iran <clears throat> is a bit farther it's a very specific bit farther. <laughs> For one, no teens. None? No, not even one? Not as major players. Teens were certainly involved. Oh, okay. We I are... thought you knew for sure. Like, there were no teenagers. <laughs> it was just old people. I'm sure that Iran then, as Everyone now... Everyone was 47 years old. ...did have a number of teenagers in the population. Except for that one person who was 46, but they let him slide. For our last episode, you uh, decided to celebrate the beginning of our third year Woo! by by picking out a recent topic suggestion. Why well, I, I asked for topic suggestions, but yeah. Yeah, that was the plan. Yeah. And I'm doing the same. I'd like to thank Peter for suggesting Operation Ajax not once, but at least twice, actually. <laughs> that, that was uh, the one when that email came in that was like, oh, you're not going to do that one. I'll do that one. Yeah. <laughs> And now I'm doing that one. So you're right. I wouldn't do this one. <laughs> so thanks, Peter. Again, before we can talk about a coup, before a regime change, we have to talk about the regime that changed. Okay. So we're going to wind back the clock to the Ooh, early wood, 20th wood, century. Wood, wood. I wound back the clock. Yes. Thank you, DJ Elena. Wood, wood, wood. Winding forward goes... Okay. Okay. Yeah. Back is... Wood, wood, wood. Water? Would you like some water? Is that no, what you're trying to say? No, that's just the clock sound. Okay. Most clocks just go tick. Well, not this one. All this right. one goes... Whoa. 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 And then on the hour, it goes... Woohoo! <laughs> I don't believe you. That'd be terrifying. Every hour, it just goes... Woohoo! Hooray, you're still asleep. Oh, oh, actually, no. No, you're not. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, let's let's talk about this. Oh, thank you for your permission. <laughs> so Iran was an independent nation, not, not a protectorate 
uh, of, of anywhere, not a colony, uh, governed under a democratic constitution since 1906. Mm-hmm. Power was held jointly by the Shah uh, and the elected parliament. The constitution provided a lot of, of powers exclusive to some, but a lot of override for the Shah. Basically, whenever the Shah was hands-on, uh, it was a not so much a democratic country, but if the Shah just wanted to chill out and hang out in the palace, it could be a very democratic country. Now, in 1908, the Anglo-Persian Oil Company struck oil and began refining and exporting it. Uh, the Anglo-Persian Oil Company, of course, was a, a joint operation with Iran and the United Kingdom. The, all those Anglo people. Yes. Yeah. It's what the prefix means. Uh, the company had gotten exclusive rights to the oil in Iran back in 1901 in exchange for a promise of 16% of all future net profits and some bribes to the Shah's three negotiators. In 1913, the company was nationalized by the UK government. Uh, the, the people of the United Kingdom owned 51% of the Anglo-Persian oil company. Uh, in the 50s, it would be renamed British Petroleum, and we now know it as BP. I always wondered what BP stood for. It used to stand for British Petroleum, but then it was privatized, so it kind of yeah. doesn't stand for anything, but there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to protect their investment, the British continually interfered with the Iranian government. Uh, the democratic constitution that we talked about was the result of a civil war with the British and Russians backing the anti-democratic side. Ah. Uh, the British helped install uh, the Reza Shah Pahlavi in a coup because the previous dynasty wasn't keeping production numbers up. Oh, of course, of course. They then deposed uh, the Reza Shah in a joint action with the USSR during World War II because he maintained neutrality and was getting a little too friendly with the Axis powers for their liking. Mm. Uh, so they ousted him and installed his son in his place. I see. Now, in the years between, uh, Reza Shah was an authoritarian. Uh, he sidelined parliament, jailed and executed his critics, all the, the usual business. Uh, one of those he jailed was a man named Mohammed Mossadegh. Uh-huh. He's important. We're going to talk okay. about him a lot. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I will remember you. Okay. Uh, Mossadegh uh, had resigned from parliament after Reza took power. He didn't want to be any part of that government. Yeah. Uh, before that, he was a university professor. He was the first person from Iran to earn a PhD in law from a European university. While sitting and stewing in jail, he came to, to the firm conclusion that there was no independent Iran if the colonial powers kept jerking them around for their resources. Very true. He was committed, therefore, to nationalizing Iran's oil. I mean, it's already kind of nationalized, but for another nation. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, after the British and Soviet invasion to, to shore up support for them rather than neutrality and to, to make sure that the supply lines to uh, uh, the USSR's military were, were safe from Axis interference, the new Shah was the old Shah's son, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi. From now on, whenever I say the Shah, this is the guy I'm talking about. That one. The, the, the son of the guy that got kicked out for liking Nazis too much. Yes. Yes. So this Shah, way more laid back. 
Uh, Parliament became kind of the driving force of the government. Democracy pretty much restored. People just needed something to vote for. Mm -hmm. That's where Mossadegh comes in. Uh, He founded the National Front of Iran, uh, kind of a political party, but mostly a big umbrella group unified in their pursuit of democracy and Iranian nationalism. Uh, The defining issue of Iranian nationalism is the oil. All it really meant, at the time at least, is nationalizing the oil company for Iran. Okay. And likewise, democracy at the time just meant being anti-Shah. Yeah. Those two issues were basically all it took to keep the National Front united and the biggest power in Iranian politics by far. Uh, So the Front was made up of uh, the Socialist Iran Party, the Toilers Party, which is a anti-communist, social-democrat thing. A lot of European-educated intellectuals in there, but some also actual working-class folks. Uh, The Tehran Association of Bizarre Trade and Craft Guilds. That is quite the name. Yeah, and in case I'm not pronouncing it clearly enough, bizarre as in marketplace with the two A's. They're not yes. a bunch of like weirdos making Dr. Seuss goods. Yeah, for a second my brain went to the other <laughs> yeah, <okay>. bizarre. <laughs> but then I knew what you meant. Yeah, yeah. Extra points to whatever people decide to actually go with the other bizarre mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and name have that in their name or in the organization name. We're the Dingle Hopper Guild. Uh, local 512. Yes. 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 The Front was formed in 1949 in response to uh, uh, sh- the Shah cracking down on, on a pro-democracy, pro-workers' rights demonstration. Uh, and they won big in the 1951 elections, naturally choosing Mossadegh as prime minister. And with such a, an overwhelming public support, the, the Shah installs the prime minister but he couldn't say no mm-hmm. uh, to, to all of these millions of people in the streets. Yeah. Yeah. So back again in Parliament, kicking it, uh, meeting all his old friends that he uh, retired from all those years ago. He made a powerful ally, the Ayatollah Abdul Qasem Kashani. Okay. Uh, Mossadegh need the, needed the cleric's help to mobilize the religious vote. That's a big block of, of power and block of people in Iran. Uh, and Kashani wanted an Iran free of foreign influence so it could be an Islamic state. Uh-huh. This was the most tense relationship within the front, but basically all of these factions, they wanted democracy now, nationalization now, and then they all had very different answers to what and then. Yeah. Uh, Kashani and the reformist pro-Western, uh, uh, progressive uh, uh, Mossadegh in particular. Yeah. But un- until those things happened, they could keep pushing off that question uh, until eventually they couldn't. Mm-hmm. We call that foreshadowing in the business. Yeah. Yeah. So huge sweeping wins in uh, the 1951 election for these people basically campaigning on the, the oil that's coming out of Iran's ground uh, with Iranian workers, it's going to be for Iran. Uh-huh. So by the end of the year, they, they deliver legislation to do just that. Parliament votes almost unanimously to nationalize the oil supply. Mossadegh, instantly a national hero. He, he stuck it to the colonial powers, you know. He was Time Magazine's Man of the Year. 
Uh-huh. Uh, just international ripples. You know, everybody yeah. is going to think of the prosperity once that 16%. It's going to be 100%. Heck yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the whole world is watching Iran. Uh, so he approaches the Anglo-Iranian oil company with a deal. Uh, we split profits 50-50. That's the same deal that uh, the Americans struck with the Saudis a year earlier. That's basically the going rate for yeah. these arrangements. Uh, they refuse to meet. So he's like, give, give us a chance to audit the, the books. We need to be sure that what you're saying is 16% actually is 16%. They... They don't let him. Well, that's suspicious. <laughs> so the British government, they're not too happy with this. They they have a deal. It should be honored. And Parliament does not have the right to be making these demands. Clearly. Duh. So they, they want to get their good friends, the Americans, to support them in this. It doesn't really work. Uh, the United States under President Truman uh, was asked to get involved, was invited uh, Britain wanted some help in getting rid of this nationalist movement, but the U.S. is like, mm, nah. Uh. For one thing, not our problem. And another, if they go into business for themselves, maybe they'll go into business with the Americans for themselves. So we want to, like, yeah, stay get, on their good side. Well, maybe we'll get a taste of that. Huh? Yeah. Uh, a U.S. diplomat asked the Shah to help negotiate a compromise. But the Shah shut him down like the, the national uh, opinion is way too strong. He could not say the first word against nationalization, even if he wanted to. Uh-huh. So the British, working alone then, they pull out their engineers. They pull out their experts. They, they reduce production in the oil fields and practically shut down the refinery. Uh-huh. If we can't have it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. In, instead of helping produce oil, they just cut off the world's supply. They started a blockade so Iran could not sell any oil that they did manage to make. Ah. This was the backup plan after deciding against sending an invasion to seize the refinery by force. Oh. This is the good cop approach. I see. Uh, Britain stopped selling Iran their sugar, steel, and other commodities. Uh, any cash Iran held in British banks was frozen. They, they could not get to their own money. Mm. Uh, and so Iran is like, well, we, we lost our British experts. Let's try to get some American ones. Let's try to get some French experts. Let's uh, send word like we're hiring. Five nations refused the offer to send their own technicians to replace Britons. The only uh, people that did answer the call were uh, Italy. Oh. So this oil tanker from Italy, the Rosemary, got caught by the blockade and was forced to give up its cargo by the Royal Navy, claiming it was transporting stolen goods. Ah. Uh, Iran was taken to the International Court in The Hague for stealing the oil under its feet. Uh, and during this crisis, Winston Churchill won the prime ministership once again. Ah. Uh, he had introduced the legislation that gave the UK control over Iran's oil all those decades ago. Of course. And there's no way he was going to give up on it now. Of course. Of course not. See, Churchill had a long history of waging total war in the Middle East and making life miserable for the people there. Uh, just look up his time as a soldier in Afghanistan or, or when he was in charge of running Iraq. 
between the wars. Not great. No. Uh, to say nothing of how he treated India or Ireland. So Yeah. Yeah. But then this wasn't just about oil in the end. It was about colonialism and imperialism. It was about the natural order of things. Uh, it was national pride and keeping those lesser races in their place. Mm-hmm. Winston Churchill, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Iran also had a parliamentary election in the spring of 1952. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mossadegh, still very popular in the streets, but Ayatollah Kashani had begun to side with the Shah, so starting to, to make his move, right? And the British were not particularly interested in allowing a fair election. Of course they weren't. Some, some MI6 agents were uh, getting in touch with candidates and, and regional figures and offered some bribes to oppose Mossadegh. Uh, also, just some straight-up election fraud, you know. Yeah, the old The old-fashioned kind. Uh, National Front candidates won in the cities, but nobody was around to keep an eye on election fraud in the rural areas. Of course not. Mossadegh basically froze the election as soon as a quorum was elected, as soon as, like, the minimum amount of uh, members of parliament were elected. Uh And, of course, they came from the the cities where there was, you know, more uh, infrastructure in order to run elections and report results. Yeah. Yeah. It was also a U.S. election year. Apparently there's a lot of them uh, uh, in that time of the century. And the British found President Eisenhower much more open to their plans than Truman had been. Oh, no. So that, we're going to take a quick break and be right back. Okay. So when we last left off, yes. Prime Minister Mossadegh up against a wall. Yep. Got this blockade, these sanctions, all this interference, a devastating effect. Yes. You know, foreign agents were interfering with his democracy, the, the democracy that he, he went to prison in order to, to protect. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's flying all over the world. He's flying to The Hague to, to mount a defense. He's going to the World Bank and, and the UN to try to get support and some loans. Flying to the US like, hey, help us out. Can you talk to the English for us? Because they're getting wild up in here. Trying to get some relief. And so he's not at home able to fix the problems that he's trying to get support outside of the country. It's, it's a mess. Yeah. Sounds like it. And without uh, Kashani's support, he uh, found a new ally, one that he did not seek out, one that found him, the communists. Oh. Uh, Iran's Tuda party. Mm-hmm. Not agents from Moscow, but like homegrown Iranian communists. Yeah. Yes. Like Kashani, they were only down with the National Front until they can act their version of the future, a communist Iran. Yeah. Uh, They were an organized and militant movement out in the streets, committed to the plight of the oil field workers who were laid off and suffering, and they could, you know, bust some heads. Yeah. In order to get anything done, Mossadegh felt forced to push through an Emergency Powers Act, suspending the democratic system that he was working so hard to defend from the Shah and the Shah's father, for all those years. Yeah. He would uh, go on to jail political opponents himself following an assassination attempt, 
and uh, dissolve Parliament. Oh, yeah, just really going to the extreme. Yes, as things got worse, he, he uh, ordered a nationwide uh, uh, referendum in order to dissolve Parliament until things got better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also suspended the uh, secret ballot. Like, there's one ballot box for yes and one ballot box for no, and you have to like sign your ballot and write like your address and your job Ooh, on it. Oh no. So that's why the, the yeah, let's dissolve parliament vote got 99%. Because people were worried about being killed. And yeah, the, the, the Tudor party made sure you know which which way to vote. And uh, I'm sure there are lots of people just standing there right by the, oh, the yeah. boxes. Being oh, yeah. Like, what you going to do with that? What you going to do with it? Where, where are you going to put that? Left or right? Where are you going? Mm-hmm. Huh? Mm-hmm. Buddy? Huh? Mm-hmm. You should make a better choice than that. Yeah, not great. Like, no. I mean, you, you could say that there's no good solutions, but that is certainly not a good that's, solution. That's really not it. <laughs> that's really not it. So now, now it is much easier for for uh, our our good friends, the British, to to argue to President Eisenhower and his State Department that Mossadegh is a man who cannot be negotiated with. He is about to fall to the Reds. He's on the path to dictatorship. So now, the United States agrees to help in the British scheme. Huh. In 1953, $1 million is sent to the CIA desk in Tehran to overthrow Mossadegh. Oh! Six weeks later, the United States State Department gives final approval to Operation Ajax, the plan to incite a coup. Uh, This is being held in conjunction with MI6's Operation Boot, with the, the same goal. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, it is led on the ground by CIA agent Kermit Roosevelt, grandson of President Theodore Roosevelt. Kermit. Kermit. Uh, Kermit Jr. His father was Kermit Sr. And I believe his son was Kermit the Third. I didn't know people actually named anyone Kermit, aside from a frog. A frog and a few Roosevelts, yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I did not know. That that was a thing. Uh, Roosevelt was sort of an expert in in Mideast affairs among the CIA. Uh, He had just wrapped up Project Fat Fucker. What? what? That's what they called it. (laughs) Which aided in the overthrow of King Farouk and the establishment of the Republic of Egypt. They weren't trying to create a Republic of Egypt. They just wanted Farouk gone. But a republic happened anyway. Whatever happens from it, that's fine. That was not choice number one for the CIA. Uh, So the overall plan is to erode Mossadegh's support and sow chaos. If things are chaotic enough, people will welcome whoever brings stability. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe inside the country, but certainly outside the country. So propaganda is released, exploiting the divisions within the National Front. Tudor violence was exaggerated uh, and also directly encouraged. U.S. money went to Iranian communists in order to support them as street enforcers. And uh, U.S. agents infiltrated in order to, like, egg them on. Of course they did. Yeah. Remember the stuff in our uh, Assassins episode that, like, all the American anarchists thought that uh, Cholgash was? Yeah. Yeah, that's what actually happened. Yeah, the CIA like did legit. that for real, yeah. So this is going to make Mossadegh look bad, drive away other supporters. Like, 
the, the National Front was in part founded by a bunch of tradespeople and like people who want to sell their things. They're, they're pretty happy with private property in the National Front. Yeah. So you start making a communist Iran look likely. That's that's one power block backing right out. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about paid protesters, false flag attacks, bribes, uh, street thugs hired to beat up pro-Mossadegh people, street thugs hired to beat up anti-Mossadegh people, uh, paid messages inserted into news reports and broadcasts. In conjunction with, you know, the BBC's uh, uh, Middle East service giving the, the most pro-UK interests spin and some fabrications fed to them by MI6 as well. Yeah. So in August 1953, the Shah signs a royal decree drafted by the CIA, dismissing Mossadegh and appointing a new prime minister. Shah takes a little vacation. Uh-huh. Uh, while a coup begins. So the military shows up on Mossadegh's doorstop, but he's not there. See, the Tuda party had infiltrated the military and knew the coup was coming. Pro-Mossadegh troops surrounded the coup as it arrived. Ha ha ha, no coup for you. Yeah. The failed coup is yet another sign that the colonial powers want to control Iran's fate. But they cannot... Huge demonstrations of support for the Prime Minister and against any remaining vestiges of the imperialist past, including any royalist images, any statues of the current or past shahs, any paintings, any uh, palaces that maybe don't have the best security right now. Yeah. So thinking the shah was behind the coup, uh, he's out of town, it didn't work. The Tuda sort of relaxes their watch and, and they get to work. They start seizing municipal buildings in, in areas where they're strong and starting to build, or at least attempting to, in these just a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, uh, actual communist enclaves within Iran. Mobs are going out and desecrating temples and royalist art. Like I mentioned, they're looting shops, they're ransacking offices. These mobs are CIA funded. Of course, of course. Uh, with, with those infiltrators. Uh, Mossadegh attempts to clear the streets with the army. So he was acting on a promise from the U.S. military that aid would be coming if he could restore law and order. Ah, yeah, that's a lie. Information passed along from our, our pal Kermit and CIA director Alan Dulles. Uh-huh. And, and all this stuff we're talking about is just a matter of days. Four days after the failed coup comes a second coup. And this one succeeds. You weren't expecting a second one. They were not prepared for that one-two punch, no. I don't know pop, if there's going to if, if, if think there's gonna be a coup. It feels like you should, like, if there's a failed one, you should stay on your guard for at least a few days. They a did week. not. Those those two to infiltrators, that, in, that uh, intelligence network, did not see this one coming. Uh, a force of civilian demonstrators, again, uh, uh, spearheaded by CIA-paid... Uh, paid protesters and infiltrators. Uh, they they started demonstrating in the streets, and in line behind them was a military force, including thirty five tanks, oh. along with numbers of infantry, etc. Uh, they all advance on Mossadegh in his residence and surround his house. After a nine hour battle, there are over three hundred dead. Mossadegh has, has uh, uh, fled and turned himself in, and his house has been burned to the ground. Oh, that's, that's 
that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Our, our good pal Kermit the Roosevelt organized both of these coups. He was supposed to come home after the first one failed. He was given orders from Washington, like by telegram. Well, you, you gave it a good run. Come on home. We, we did our job. MI6 agents intercepted those orders, so not receiving them, he just went right back to work and planned the second. Okay, I guess we need to try again. Yeah, like, he's he's a stick to it guy. Things would have gone very differently. So the Shah is on his vacation in Rome when he hears the news. He flies to Tehran. On that plane is CIA director Dulles. Course. The new prime minister that he named in his royal decree is installed, Mossadegh sentenced to death. The Shah, as a magnanimous gesture, did not uh, allow him to die. He, he commuted his sentence to a few years in prison and then life under house arrest. He lived another 14 years. Although several of his major supporters and, and uh, high-profile people in his regime were executed, uh, for their part, and, and many others in the National Front were imprisoned for, for many years. <laughs> they weren't worried about those guys being martyrs, though, so there you go. <laughs> yeah. Like his father, the Shah became much more autocratic after being put in power by a Western force. And he always remembered who his friends were. He, he knew who he owed. Yeah. So some, some other people that helped him run the country, the new Prime Minister, uh, Zahedi, was arrested by the British back in World War II for trying to institute a pro-Nazi government. Oh! The British didn't like him very much for that, but, you know, times change. There's no longer a Nazi Germany, you, so you it's might, okay. You might stop liking Nazis. No. You... Ugh. He got $5 million from the CIA the day after the successful coup. Of course he did. Uh, their new Minister of Propaganda, which was his actual, like, job title. <laughs> you think you want to be sneaky about that. Minister of Information, of the press, maybe. Not, not propaganda, no. We're just going to be truthful about what this is. Uh, he had trained under Goebbels, speaking of Nazis, and was a radio announcer for Radio Berlin under Nazi rule. He, he did their Persian language broadcasts. Oh. Yeah. Uh, the Secretary General of the Oil Industry, he would later uh, be a future Prime Minister, sort of a couple times, was also jailed for Nazi activity back during the war. What the... Oh my god. But I know what you're thinking. What happened to the oil, though? They gave it to the Nazis. That would be really hard in 1953. They gave it to the it British. It seems like they kind of are. Yeah. Though, like, they're, they're putting everyone in power that was a Nazi or worked for Nazis. I'm sure they'll find some Nazis to give the oil to. In, instead of all of the output belonging to uh, British companies, only 40%. Oh, now oh. went to the British. Another 40 was split between the five American oil companies, 8% apiece. Uh-huh. Uh, the other 20% went to other European oil companies. Oh! So they so got nothing. None of the ownership went to Iran. 20% of net profits went to Iran. That's better than the 16 they had before. Yeah? Uh, it's certainly not the 50% that if you were to sign on the dotted line, we could have... could have. Avoided all of this. We could just made this so easy. Uh, and, of course, none for the USSR. The, the last time they had any claim to 
Iranian oil was the war, basically. Uh-huh. And now we're in the middle of another one, a cold one. No, no oil for you. It's not going north. It's going west. So the Shah consolidated his power by, by playing the post-coup factions against one another and built an image as a progressive, as a reformer. He, he was a secular guy. He wanted to modernize. He, a lot of the things he instituted are things that Mossadegh would have done. Mm-hmm. In fact, he uh, reached out to a lot of former National Front people, the ones that weren't in jail anyway. Like, if you were in charge of, of reforming Iran, what would you do? Yeah, give me some ideas. And that was part of the way he uh, played, you know, some political chess and became the only real power in Iran. Another way he did that was Savak, the secret police that that he commanded. Uh, Well, I mean, they got a lot of experience with that going on. Uh, Savak was set up with previously U.S. money and trained by uh, General Norman Schwarzkopf. Uh, they imprisoned and tortured anyone who was a threat to the Shah. Of course. And as time goes on, the Shah is the state. He is Iran. So any dissent was essentially treason. Uh-huh. Rumor has it that uh, for as long as Savak existed, they were continuing to get annual payments from the CIA to, to support their activities. I see. Uh, he loved using his wealth to buy American weapons. He had fleets Ooh. of tanks and planes just sitting out in the desert sand, completely useless. They're covered in sand. But he had them. And, uh, you know, U.S. arms manufacturers don't mind. It's better if you buy it and don't use it, frankly. Yeah. All while people lived in fear and poverty. Yeah. In the 60s, he gave himself a, a nice grand coronation to assume... Uh, the title uh, Shah of Shahs, rather than just, the, <laughs> instead of just the king, he is now emperor of Iran. Oh. Mahaha. So, in case it's not clear, not a great guy. People didn't really enjoy living like this very much. Uh, his brutality and repression led to his end, a revolution by the only power block he didn't really eliminate and couldn't eliminate, the church. Yeah. This is the 1970s Iranian Revolution, Ayatollah Khomeini. Yes. Yes. Uh, the country was renamed the Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh, in fact, that Ayatollah was a protege of the Ayatollah that was friends slash enemies with Mossadegh. Ah. There, there you go. Uh, and the revolution was ardently anti-Western, anti-U.S. in particular, because, you know, they lived through history. Yeah. They have their reasons. They got their reasons. Uh, the current supreme leader of Iran is the Ayatollah Khomeini. It, it's a little confusing, Khomeini and Khomeini. I get it. Mm-hmm. But there you go. Uh, the National Front still exists, though it is officially outlawed. And they hold no seats in parliament because, you know, outlawed. Yeah. This was the, the United States, or at least the CIA's, first big effort in regime change. Uh, and they really developed a taste for it. Yeah. Uh, the same tactics were used, essentially, in Guatemala the very next year to prevent uh, their their democratically elected government from nationalizing uh, the fruit fields that were uh, owned by the United Fruit Company, an American Rockefeller-owned uh, uh, corporation. Yeah. 
Uh, the CIA and the U.S. military between them would interfere in every nation in Central and South America, including things like assassinating Salvador Allende and installing a fascist dictator in his place in Chile. Yep. It all comes that's, from... That's our country! It all comes from Iran. Or, if you want to take a longer view, it all comes from Hawaii. Uh, yeah. 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 Of course, regime change isn't just for the CIA. I mean, it was also the stated goal of the disastrous Iraq War, if you uh, remember. Yeah. (laughs) Or at least it was after the uh, fictitious charges of of weapons of mass destruction were revealed to be fictitious. Yeah. And now the same people involved in selling that war are making a case for regime change again on two fronts. One, Iran again. Yep. Anytime Iran comes up in conversation in any old uh, newspaper op-ed page, there's probably somebody who did support the Iraq war saying, you know what, I was wrong then. But Iran, though. Ugh. And also Venezuela. Hmm. Venezuela has some surprising parallels to the, to the yeah. run-up, to, to uh, international opinion and reporting on, say, 1952 Iran. Or early 53 Iran. Uh, You've got this oil-rich nation that breaks from economic imperialism. International capitalists uh, putting out an embargo, which causes shortages of their goods uh, that are then sold, that are then uh, reported to the world as as just widespread shortages, period, without filling in those details. Yeah. Uh, Painted as a crisis. The, The leader who has widespread support of most people... Uh, portrayed overseas as some bizarre weirdo not up to the task. Yeah. Uh, demonstrators supported by foreign and, and international business interests. We may be approaching a day when there's enough chaos or enough perception of chaos to justify just about anything in Venezuela. History repeats itself again and again, and apparently we don't learn anything. Or, again, back in Iran, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. This one was going to make me mad. <laughs> and I wouldn't have much to say other than just being mad. Yeah? Yep. What what noises do your clocks make, dear? <laughs> oh, that's an angry clock. <laughs> that's a very angry clock. <laughs> Moki does not like this clock. Poor baby. We're going to take a quick break, though, and we'll, and we'll be right back with your letters. Yep. We have letters, mail to read, and letters to send. We're sending letters? That's how you know our episode reached the end. (laughs) We have a little jingle? We should Mm -hmm. write a little jingle for mail time. I don't know. I think that would just be a big flop in this house. The the prompt I gave for people uh, in our last episode was I wanted to know people's favorite CIA operation. And you know what? I'm not really surprised that we only got two letters and only one's about that. <laughs> and I'm not surprised that one's from Kieran. <laughs> no. I, Kieran psyched himself out and thought I was going to talk about MKUltra. Not today. Aww. Uh, but I'm going to skip to the end and agree that, yes, if you want to hear about MKUltra from a podcast, you could do much worse than listening to uh, Blurry Photos, which is a wonderful show I've been on a couple times. They're, they're 
both Daves are really great guys, including the one that still does the show. A oh, one left. Yeah, it's a solo show now, but the the new format is really good too. Oh, yeah. Or as a segment at, on Ken and Robin talk about stuff because you know that's right up Ken Heights Alley too. But instead, Kieran goes into detail about Edward Lansdale's Psy War he waged in nineteen in the Philippines in the nineteen forties. Uh, he was sent in order to uh, support the U.S.-aligned government in the face of communist rebels. Uh, so he, he arranged for uh, material support for the government with, with big old U.S. stamps so people know who's taking care of them, but also terrorizing the guerrillas by uh, making those that, that died in action, uh, you know, draining their blood and hanging them upside down so they'd look like vampire victims. Oh, or painting eyes on the walls so they would know that there's always someone watching them. Other uh, uh, psychological tactics to get under their skin and, and unnerve them so they would stop, you know, shooting at the government and trying to uh, make the Philippines a communist nation. Yeah. Of course, the, the legend of Lansdale is a bit longer than that. Uh, it is said he acquired General Yamashita's gold, and uh, it was used to fund CIA black ops, including things like MKUltra, throughout the 20th century. Maybe he was involved in the Kennedy assassination conspiracy. Who knows? It's a conspiracy. Ooh. He was also in charge of Operation Mongoose, uh, the, the long-term plot to prevent communist Cuba from achieving any prosperity through sabotaging power plants and ruining their sugar crops. Even in the face of this, they uh, Castro managed to eliminate child hunger uh, and provide medical care for everyone and end homelessness. So, there you go. Yeah. Thanks, Karen. Uh, Sam sent us an email. Uh, isn't replying to the prompt that you gave. But uh, wanted uh, to talk about Bertha. <laughs> the, the name of Bertha. The name Not Bertha. Not any specific Bertha. No. Uh, because we kept talking about Bertha and how, like, you don't meet anyone named Bertha anymore, or mm -hmm. especially any children. People aren't naming their children that. Um, Sam has made a hobby of researching how baby names have changed throughout history, mostly because they realize that they never met an old man named Justin. Yeah. But a whole lot of young people named Justin. Or a young person named Lois. You never meet him. Not really, no. No. Uh, one of our listeners wife's name is lois oh yeah okay it's rare though. it's very rare yeah yeah but uh, according to sam's research and and excel sheet mm -hmm. uh that was shared with us uh bertha was one of the top 10 american girls names in the 19 or in the 1880s and then like disappeared <laughs> <laughs> at least out of popularity yes out, yeah. of, out of top 10 like mm -hmm. it still existed but like it it pretty much dropped when when you were looking at the most recent column, the yeah. uh, the current decade, yeah, like you you definitely found his research accurate. Oh yeah, <laughs> considering that I work with children, mm -hmm. I definitely know what people are naming their kids and what's popular. <laughs> and you know what? Stop naming your children Olivia. Just stop it. Just or L Ella Ellie, anything <laughs> of those. Um, you will save a teacher's life. Sophia, Ugh. they're wonderful names. But when you got, like, five kids with the same name, 
in every glass. We need some variety here. Bring back Ruth. I'm going to say it again. It's a good name. Let's bring back Mildred. Yeah. Then they can have a wonderful little idol of Mildred Hubble, the worst witch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it'll be great. I'm just amazed that Mary has not been in the top ten. That surprises me a lot because I feel like there's always been Marys. Like, I always, always come across Marys. Mm-hmm. I'm also surprised, um, looking at this chart that they sent, um, Amanda only first is only in the 80s and the 90s, so I guess we're looking at, like, decades. I feel like I knew five bajillion Amandas, like, forever, mm-hmm. including through, like, the 2000s, like, being born. I feel like that was still really top ten name. Perhaps the the distribution is a lot flatter. Like, there is less difference between number 10 and number 20 than there was 50 years ago. Yeah. I mean, my, yeah, that's true. Perhaps. Anyways, very interesting to look at. Yeah, thanks, Sam. I, f- I find naming trends actually very interesting, mm-hmm. especially as more people we know are having kids <laughs> and, like, seeing what they choose to name their kids. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they're like, oh, I named my kid something really unique. And I'm like, well, actually, no. I get like 12 of those kids a year with that name. You think you named them something unique. But we're like, no, you really picked a unique one. No one in the world will have that name. Okay. Mm-hmm. They can get their Gmail account now with their name and be fine. Yep. Blue Ivy. Personal friend of the show. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But thank you, Sam. <laughs> Uh, so, that's our letters. If you would like to send us a letter, please ship those off too. HistoryHoneysPodcast at gmail.com. And that's where we want to hear uh, your show suggestions, your corrections, your questions, your stories, anything you might like to be read on the air, including our regular uh, uh, prompt for letters. And darling, what would you like to hear for next episode? I have no idea, because I don't know what it's going to be on. I don't think there's a prompt this time. Oh, that's a shame. But that's okay. We'll s- I still look forward to any letters that come on in, regardless. Make up your own prompt. Why not? Surprise, go surprise for us. Before we let you go, I would again like to encourage everyone to go check out Final Bid on Kickstarter. Uh, we have not hit the goal yet, and I would really like to, because I'd really like to get this game that I'm excited about into people's hands. Uh a game I love so much, I demanded the chance to write for it. And now I am! And that's yeah. that's wonderful. Just the idea that, that people out there are going to have fun with their friends using something that, that I helped make, you know? Yeah. It's like you're having fun with me. Yeah. <laughs> you can also leave us a rating and review on your podcast listening place. Yeah. You know? G- give us some stars on yeah. Apple Podcasts. Make our day. Uh, preferably the most stars you can give us, but you know <laughs> we're we're not going to order you around. Mm-hmm. It always helps technology help others find us. And you can cut out the middleman by giving us a recommendation. Go tell a friend, tell a family member, tell somebody who uh, is really curious what happened to Iran throughout the 20th century. What's up with that? What's up? What? How did? How did this come to be? Be like, well, you know what? I have a great place for you to go learn about it. <laughs> and we do appreciate word of mouth. It's the the only way we advertise is basically we, we don't. We, we trust you to to know, to, yeah. to be engaged and to help us grow. And we appreciate it so very much. Yeah. 
We did make business cards. We handed them out to some people, yes. <laughs> we should create like a street team. Yeah. We sent other people our business cards and they go like leave them places for us. Yeah, it's it's like a pyramid scheme, but instead of money going up, it's paper going down. Yeah. And, and out. Yeah. 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 That's not a bad idea. We have a really big box of business cards. I don't think we'll ever get through them all. So while we contemplate what to do with that, I guess that's it from us. I think so. I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with with your honey. honey. And Loki's here too.